Are you looking to pursue excellence and take your success to the next level? You're in the right place. Welcome to Excellence Mindset with your host, Ryan James Miller. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Excellence Mindset podcast on this gloomy, uh, uncharacteristic Southern California day. Uh, I am hopeful that my friend on the other end of the phone here this morning is going to give us um, some uh, bright and hopeful cheer from the East Coast, but I have a feeling that the hurricane over there is is affecting that weather, so we're going to find out in a minute. And uh, to, to not uh, let you or uh, uh, cause you to wait any longer, uh, I am excited to have with me today, Chris Macariola. Did I say that right? Of course you didn't. <laughs> of course I didn't. I said I was going to try and then I didn't. You and went I... for it and you screwed it up. <laughs> Damn it. All right. Well, I'm already off to a bad start. It can only get better from here. So what she told me to say was, I should have just introduced her as Chris Mack. Yes. That would have been much easier because I would not have screwed up her name. So with that, (laughs) Chris is a consultant, a speaker, a leader, and a coach. Uh, She specializes in helping organizations create culture uh, where employees can feel energized, enabled, engaged, and ultimately really giving them a competitive advantage. Uh, She is an EQ champion. And I love that because uh, not only is that something that I've been very passionate about learning more about, uh, but the uh, one opportunity that I've had to, uh, to meet Chris in person and get a chance to talk to her for a little while, you just get this sense really quickly that not only does she have her own EQ in check, but uh, she seems to uh, she seems to know what she's talking about as she talks about it uh, with other people in the marketplace. So, with that, hello, Chris. Hello, Ryan. Thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate it. Oh man! All right, so we're already off on the wrong foot. Um, and so why don't you start off, maybe you could say your name for real. You know, I Uh, will do that. I I think that's a good, a good way to start this off, but I, I give you props for going all in and attempting it. It's Chris Macchiarola. Oh, I was so close. I think you were, you were so close. You just like flipped a couple letters there, but that's okay. (laughs) We're, we're all good. You wouldn't be the first one to do that. And at least you attempted it. So I'm super impressed. All right. So bravery, that, that, that's a good start. Absolutely. All right. So Chris, I, um, I, I started with bio, uh, but why don't you tell, uh, our listeners a little bit about just kind of who you are and what you're all about. Um, so yeah, we can, we can get a glimpse in. All right. Well, that's a, a good question to start with. And I think, you know, the best way to describe who I am is to sort of think about all the layers that, um, make up me. And so, I'm a business owner, I'm a wife, I'm a mom, I am a practicing yogi, and I would say a lover of life and learning. And as you mentioned, I work with mostly with organizations. I do do some one-off work coaching with individuals, but mostly with organizations. And, you know, I really am passionate about helping them put human back into business and bringing emotional intelligence to the forefront because we know that you cannot separate emotion from business. You may think you can, but it is actually impossible. <laughs> I, I, 
I, I love I love that you say that and, and so emphatically because I think so many people want it to not be that way, right? They absolutely do. And that is naive. It is completely naive. You you cannot do it. And actually, if you can embrace the idea of how emotions you can learn from them and learn to manage them in a way that puts you at an advantage rather than a disadvantage, you're going to be a top performer. And we know from 30 years of research that this is true. But there are still so many people who just say, we have no room for emotions in business. And what they don't understand is that as a human being, you are wired to experience emotions in everything you do, whether you realize it or not. So to try to separate that out is actually impossible and silly. And, and, and that is the first key that that's a great client for you because that seems to demonstrate a lack of EQ. (laughs) Yes, it does. (laughs) You are right. Although sometimes, you know, you just have to say, is, is this really worth my time? If they're not even, at the point where they even understand the impact of emotions and how, you know, that can differentiate the top performers from the rest. Sometimes it's like, oh, I don't know if I really want to waste my time there because yeah. they're just not there yet, you know? Yep. And so I'd rather work with somebody who at least understands that, you know, that's part of the sandbox you're playing in yep. and, you know, how, then what can we do with it? And, and then we can talk about opportunities. Okay, so um, I mean, w- we've already just started to you know to chat a little bit about EQ and um, you know emotional intelligence. So uh, I'm kind of curious. Like, I am big into getting a better understanding for what makes people tick and why they do what they do. Uh, I know you well enough already, uh, in one sense, to say that I know you really care about what you do. But what was it about? this space, this, I don't want to say topic because I think it's so much more than that. And maybe you can unpack that, but like, what, what was it about mm-hmm. EQ that really drove you to want to get in and, and champion? I mean, you said you're an EQ champion. Like what was it that really drew you in and, and keeps you going? Yeah. So, I mean, I think my passion for it really goes back to when I was in graduate school studying to be a school psychologist. And that was, a long time ago. And we were exposed to emotional intelligence at that time before it was mainstream in business. And so as part of the requirements of what we did for graduate school, which which was a three-year program, we worked in the school systems and we would do train the trainer models where we would train entire school faculties on emotional and social intelligence so that they could train their students because we knew that the students that had good use of emotional and social skills, had fewer behavior problems, lower absentee rates, and performed better academically. So then transfer, you know, or or fast forward to, I don't know, probably another 10 years and I'm in corporate America and I'm exposed to it from a business standpoint. And I really could just see the difference in those top performers who had those skills. And Some people like to refer to them as soft skills, and I think that that is grossly underestimating how powerful they are. And so I actually like to refer to them as power skills. But you can see that those people that have good use of those skills are the ones that are advancing in their careers. They're the ones that are closing the sales. They're building those long-term relationships. They're getting the promotions and getting higher merit increases and all of those things that you want to see as measures of success. And so when I 
decided to leave corporate America, I thought about what were the things that I was passionate about. And I just had to come back to emotional intelligence and the application of neuroscience to business because I find humans to be so fascinating. Never a dull moment. And, <laughs> no. and, and, you know, there's such a lack of self-awareness that um, there's so much opportunity to help people and organizations. Yeah. You know, and um, I mean, gosh, you already said so many things that were worth their weight in gold. And, um, and, and yet, as I think about uh, all that you've said so far and knowing that you have a master's in psychology, right? I actually have a master's and an education specialist degree, which nobody knows what that is. So it's it's actually two years beyond the master's and a year shy of a PhD. So you like to suffer. That's what you've demonstrated. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently. Yeah, I couldn't get out of graduate school fast yeah. enough. <laughs> I was a year in and was like, oh, why did I sign up for this three-year program? <laughs> and I have kids. And Ann, what am I doing? Ooh. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. Okay. So... Um, so let's talk about that a little bit because I think that that's um, really interesting. And with my very limited understanding of psychology, I feel like this is where the gap starts. So I always attribute <clears throat> psychology, uh, at least our understanding of it or where we're seeing it worked out a lot is in sports. So sports psychology mm -hmm. has been a big topic for many years. Uh, we see all the high performing athletes and have for the last 10, 15, 20 years that have employed sports psychologists that have dug deep into there. And only recently, at least in my mind, are we starting to see some sort of popularity catch on in the professional space? But I think the problem has been, um, and, and I'm, I want to hear your feedback here, is I don't think people are connecting the dots because um, a guy like Travis Bradbury, he writes you know, uh, these books on emotional intelligence, and so they take off, right? So everybody does these simple assessments, mm -hmm. but I'm not sure they get it. And then we see books like Mindset by Carol Dweck and Grit by Angela Duckworth that are talking, uh, that are drawing on all these ideas of psychology and applying psychology to business and professional development. But I still think that there's this huge gap in, in the way mm -hmm. organizations seek to understand the human mind, uh, even from a very basic level. And so um, I, I don't know, I guess I, I'm interested in your feedback on what I just said, but then also if it's somewhat correct, then why do you think that there is still such a gap between how businesses view um, the mind? You brought up a lot of good topics there. So I, I do agree with you that I think the sports world is far more advanced than the business world when it comes to the application of neuroscience and psychology to high performance. And I think part of the issue gets back to investment. So as a you know business owner or a CEO, you know, what types of investment am I going to make? in my organization. And so a lot of times it's just much easier to invest in things that are really tangible. So I can invest in marketing efforts and sales, you know, things that I know that I can see and measure. And it becomes more difficult when you are focusing on improving people's understanding of emotions and emotional and social intelligence to measure that. And so I think that's part of the issue is it's, it's just not as tangible as well as the, as the, you know, organizations and leaders within organizations have blind spots. And so, 
you know, it's super interesting. I, I work with a global client who employs a, an annual employee survey. And every year they perform poorly on a few measures that directly point back to the executive leadership team. And so instead of owning those problems that have been identified in those areas of opportunity, they like to point the finger elsewhere. And, it, and again, it keeps coming back to them. So this year, they've decided they're just not going to do a survey anymore. <laughs> they don't like the answers that they're getting. And they really don't want to dig deep to uncover those blind spots and own their own mistakes in creating this atmosphere that, you know, is is causing them to perform poorly on these measures. So I find it super fascinating just how the human mind works. And, and, you know, the other thing is there is some research that actually talks about financial, financial gains with emotional intelligence. So there's some research that says for every point increase in emotional intelligence usage implementation skills, you add an additional $1,300 to your salary. And when you look at people that score high in emotional intelligence versus the ones who don't score as high, we actually see an additional about $30,000 um, in salary difference. Wow. So, I mean, there really is, you know, an incentive to want to improve that. But again, I think it goes back to if you're not going to do it as an individual, a lot of organizations just are being very short-sighted about how they are investing in their people and not really understanding the impact of a lack of EQ and how it is affecting those key performance indicators. Yeah. And the reason why they don't understand it is because it's hard to measure or they don't want to take the time to measure it. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, I think that, you know, both of the, I, I've seen as an employee of organizations now in coaching and consulting within organizations. It's funny that you talk about that um, survey feedback. It's interesting to me because so often when I get hired to come in or even when I'm uh, being interviewed to come in and consult uh, for a sales team or um, a sales strategy, whatever, it's usually, you know, the business owners that invite me in and I will always, always make it clear that it is probably not solely the problem of the employees that you want to coach or consult, that there is there mm -hmm. is some bit of you, right, the business owner, that that's contributing to the problem. And I don't even have to say this to know that everybody responds with, oh, well, okay, but, mm -hmm. but not us. And, and right. so, again, I think it, you're right. It does. It goes back to like, um, they don't want to hear it. I think there's pride that comes in there. There's ignorance. Mm -hmm. There's a lack of humility. Well, it's the ego. It's the ego. Yeah. And and it gets back to, again, so you can just, in that example that you just gave about how you're saying like, hey, there's some accountability on both sides here, right? And, and those owners don't want to hear it. There's a perfect example of how you can apply neuroscience to business and, and how it's impossible to separate emotions from business and how it can cloud your judgment and affect your decision making. So if you look at, you know, the human brain, the most primitive part of the brain, which they also refer to as the lizard brain, it's sole, well, not sole purpose, but its main purpose is designed to help you survive. And so feedback like you just provided to them is actually seen as a threat. Yep. 
And the brain wants to perceive it as a threat to survival. And so our default response is dismiss, deny, reject, do anything but accept that feedback. And so until you start to understand that, you will not be able to grow from that type of feedback. It will be impossible. Yep. Yep. Okay. So um, as I think about uh, you being a coach in this space and you come up against people of all different um, levels of emotional intelligence, um, it's somewhat easy for you to assess other people. Uh, but how do you apply this to yourself? Mm. How do you how do you evaluate your own level of emotional intelligence? And again, like, you know, we've met once in person. We spent, you know, a couple hours together across a few days. And so my um, uh, unexpert, I don't even know if that's the right word uh, or even a real word, but, um, you know, my lack of expertise in this area would still say that you seem to demonstrate a lot of it. But like, how do you continue to push yourself in this area to make sure that you are as emotionally intelligent as you could be? I, I think that is such a perfect question because just because I am a coach and a champion for it does not mean that I am perfect in any way. And what I always like to emphasize to people is that the great thing about emotional intelligence is every day we get an opportunity to practice and improve. Having said that, there are going to be days when we fail miserably, including myself. And so, you know, how do I try to do better and improve? You know, I have people that that are my phone a friend. And, and I know that those people that I call are not there to just tell me supportive things. But they are the ones that can be an honest mirror for me to help me illuminate and see those blind spots. And so I think that that is so important is just acknowledging, you know what, like you just said about, you know, giving that feedback to your clients or prospective clients, there's something in this situation that you've done that you own accountability for, whether you want to believe that or not. And so even if it's somebody who's super difficult that you're dealing with, at some point you've contributed to the situation. And so what is it? Let's peel back those layers. Let's get curious. Let's let's ask those questions. You know, what is it that you did? And then how can you change that? You know, how can you change your actions, your thoughts, your behaviors? I mean, you know, there are things that I do all the time where I'm like, oh, I didn't handle that so well, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, but it's about it, owning that and and then really trying to create a plan that's going to work better for you the next time. And and it's not easy. And I don't pretend that it's easy. And I don't pretend to be perfect. Um, but it is about having those people that can help you see your blind spots and really provide some very honest feedback, because that's the only way that you're going to grow. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure, uh, because speaking from uh, experience myself, I'm sure that you are tested uh, no greater than in the area of being a mom at home to, Ooh, to yes. teenagers, right? I mean, what a great <laughs> testing ground for uh, the exercising of emotional intelligence, right? Yep. And and impulse control in particular. Because <laughs> there are things that I just want to say, and I have to bite my tongue and take deep breaths and sometimes walk away or sometimes tell my children, you're safer if you walk away. <laughs> so. 
<laughs> I had an ex- you know, and then and bringing humor to the situation, I think, is so healthy and helpful. Yeah, I, I had a, um, a a situation. I don't know. I have a 16 year old daughter, and I had a situation probably six or nine months ago now. And you know, we're in the middle of this conversation, and she's talking to me like she's one of her friends at the lunch table or something. And I'm getting frustrated, right. and you know, she didn't do something she was supposed to, and she's like baiting me, right? And so I'm I'm getting kind of hot, <laughs> and I'm trying to not just lose my mind, and but. Finally, at some point, my level of anger and frustration has now exceeded hers. And she looks at me in the most calm way. And she goes, Daddy, why are you getting so upset with me right now? And oh, my gosh, I was I wanted to lose my mind because she was so right. (laughs) I'm like, oh, gosh. And I had to get up and walk away. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, part of it is knowing your triggers and, uh, you know, that, that sometimes, sometimes those triggers continue to present themselves. So it's not like you can escape or minimize them, you know, and it's just really working on how you're going to respond yes. can be the challenge. But I laugh because I don't remember if it was Mother's Day or my birthday, but my kids wrote me a card and I think it was my daughter who was like, you know, you're the greatest mom, blah, blah, blah. We love you, but you're not perfect. <laughs> she actually put that in the card. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's great. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for that. In case I thought for a moment that I was, Claire is going to let me know and help me get back to being grounded. <laughs> oh, man, that is just so terribly good. <laughs> oh, it, it was special for sure. You're, te- you're teaching them well. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and it's funny because they just have twins, they turn 13. And it is, we're now in Iroll City, you know, where you just don't get it. And then it's the Iroll and then they turn the back and walk away. And I'm like, no, no, actually, I do get it. Turn around and come walk back to me. We're still in a conversation. (laughs) So this conversation is not over, you know, and, Uh. uh, but I have learned that the more upset they get, the calmer I need to be. Hmm. And there's power in the calmness. And typically if I don't say anything at all, because they're so, you know, getting so worked up, that is enough to help them to realize like they need to bring it down about 10 notches. And usually I will get an apology before I ever even say you need to apologize. Absolutely. Which again, like just jumping right back into then the professional side of life, like, you know, a a lot of times in our personal life, we do that because, um, or, or, or we recognize that and are willing to do those types of things. Right. Even if that means like Mm -hmm. eating our words or walking away or whatever, because we truly care. Um, we use this word, um, love in many, you know, incorrect ways, but like in this sense, like we really love our kids or we really love Mm -hmm. our spouses, our friends. And so we are willing to sacrifice that instant gratification of being right or winning the argument or whatever. But, but then when we go into business, we take this whole different approach, which obviously there are some different like domains there, but Mm -hmm. um, it's unfortunate that we aren't willing to do the same things in our professional life because I feel as though like we would make such greater strides in our ability to relate with people, to lead people, mm-hmm. whether we're a, we are a positional leader or or just a situational one. Um, I feel like there's just such an opportunity there that we miss because 
that's our professional life. And we don't need to have that kind of consideration for people, even though we may mm-hmm. say we do. Mm-hmm. No, I think you're right. I think it goes back to, again, so we we're, we have these emotions, right? And sometimes they can cloud our judgment. And we are so willing to allow ourselves to jump to faulty conclusions based on faulty assumptions. We're not asking the right questions. And a lot of times it goes back to we assume bad intentions. And so when we assume bad intentions, whether we're aware of it or not, so we, we observe bad behavior, what our brain sees as bad behavior, and we assume bad intentions, when that happens, our empathy switch gets turned off. And it's really difficult to engage yeah. in an empathetic way with a coworker. And so as a result, instead of having a direct, honest conversation where we're asking questions and not judging, we choose to work in silos or we choose to communicate through technology, which just makes it worse. So we are sending emails or texts, which is ripe for misinterpretation. (laughs) And instead, we should be picking up the phone or having a direct face-to-face conversation to, and then also assume the benefit of the doubt. Because when you can give someone else the benefit of the doubt, you can engage in a response that's rooted in empathy and really turns an adversarial conversation uh, or relationship into a collaborative one. But it's tricky. Uh, uh, Again, just such huge words of wisdom that I think we could spend the rest of our lives, you know, studying to try and improve upon. Um, but in the very least, I think that, <clears throat> you know, those are things that we need to do the best we can to focus on on a daily basis, because you're right. I just think that um, we could create such a better environment if we were able to, to, yeah. to recognize those things and then and then work on them. Absolutely. And, and so the work that I do with organizations, this is the stuff that we focus on. And I I teach people from a self-awareness standpoint, but also we get lots of opportunities to practice human to human. And I think one of the things that people always come away with that's totally different from what they would do in real life is when they know they're facing a difficult conversation, they actually write out a plan for how they want that conversation to go. And that is something that we all can do if we just sort of, you know, pause and slow down to speed up. So that we're thinking through, well, what are the important things that we want to say? And more importantly, how do we want to say it? Because when we just do things right off the cuff, you know, we're oftentimes allowing our emotions to get in the way. And those can be barriers to our relationships. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, Back to you for a minute. So I'm interested in a series of a couple of questions. uh, And... Uh, you're a mind ninja, so I'm going to see how you answer these. Oh, I don't know about that. (laughs) I'll do my best though. So, uh, if anybody was to follow you on social media, uh, either Instagram or LinkedIn, which is the two places that we're connected and, and, and watch kind of just the way that you live your life, uh, which will connect to the show notes. So hopefully people uh, reach out to you and connect with you there, but you, you, um, you operate from a place of a very genuine self-confidence. Um, and so, um, do you feel as though like, 
do you feel that you are successful at where you're at in your career? Um, and if so, why or why not? Yes. And I would say for me, I used to define success very differently. It was more about um, the merit increases and the promotions and the awards and the public acknowledgement and you know all of those things. And those are important. I'm not going to say that they're not. And I certainly don't judge anybody who's who's trying to achieve success by those performance indicators. But as I've gotten older, my definition of success has expanded. And for me, it really is a lot about knowing myself, knowing what feeds my soul, and am I learning and pushing myself rather than accepting or settling for the acceptable level of mediocrity? Because I, I think I was in that place for a while, you know, where I was, other people would say, gosh, she's very successful. She's very confident. She's winning awards. She's this, she's that. But I was really settling. And I wasn't pushing myself outside of my comfort zone. And so for me, for the last, you know, three years or so, I would say that I'm much more successful than I I was winning all of these awards and and these performance indicators that really aren't that important to me. Yeah. You could like burn that certificate tomorrow, right? You probably throw most of them away. (laughs) Totally. Completely. I'm like, these don't matter. (laughs) They really don't. Not to me. Okay. So um, you've you went from measuring success, which is obviously very normal and understandable based kind of on compensation awards, right? That like kind of outward materialistic recognition. And I don't mean to like destroy that word because I think that materialistic automatically like takes on this negative connotation that isn't always that way, but that's how you used to measure success. Now you're talking about all these other areas of growth and learning, um, self-awareness, but like, how do you how do you measure those things? I mean, is it just like I, I feel like I'm doing pretty good today, so I'm more successful than I was yesterday? Like, mm-hmm. how, how do you measure those things? So I think for the stage that I am in my life, it was about: Am I allowing fear to hold me back, or am I going to walk through that door and find courage? And so it was one measure is I left a corporate role that really wasn't feeding my soul. I was making a lot of money, but it wasn't feeding my soul. And so a measure of success for me was to walk through that door, even though I was petrified to find out you know, what was behind it. And then to build a business from scratch and to start with you know zero clients and, and be able to get some global clients on board is a measure of success. Repeat business is one of the best things for me because that validates that I am bringing value. Um, And then, you know, am I accomplishing some of my goals that I've set for myself? So I have a vision board. And among other things, that's one of the things that I look at every day. Excuse me. And it helps to keep me accountable and look at, you know, am I accomplishing those things that I've said I really want to set my sights on and, and accomplish? And so it's, it's also about accountability yep. and doing those things that feed my soul rather than just these activity centric things that, you know, just aren't meaningful at this point in my life. So if you don't mind sharing, what are the couple or <clears throat> couple or three things that are on that vision board that you are staring at every day? Yeah. So one of them is a contract with myself 
to write a book. And so I am in the process of doing that. And as a part of that, I have a a book coach because I know that I'm not going to do that by myself. I have an accountability partner and I have started working on it. And I actually had put it away for a couple of months, which was bad. (laughs) And I just got back to it this week and I feel energized and I'm super excited about it. So that's one of them. Another one is public speaking. And I I do both paid and non-paid public speaking. I do keynotes. But one of the things that I want to do is a TEDx talk. And so I have a picture of me at a TEDx event. Um, so that's that's on there. I haven't applied yet, but it's something that, that I want to do. I'm still sort of honing in on what it is that I would want to talk about. And, um, you know, the other one is really more of, am I unlearning and letting go of those things that get in my way? And so that one's a lot broader and harder to measure, but I have a quote that I keep on my vision board that somebody sent to me when I was first starting my business. And I, I literally look at this every day and I just love it so much. And it's, it's unknown who, who wrote the quote, but um, it's maybe the journey isn't so much about becoming anything. Maybe it's about unbecoming everything that isn't really you. So you can be who you were meant to be in the first place. Oh my gosh. It's deep. I like I'm 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 rarely speechless only because when I hear something like that, I want to let that soak in. Um, wow. I mean, when you said just a couple of minutes ago or a minute ago, um, that desire to unlearn, um, I, I've never heard somebody say that quite like that. You know, we talk about breaking bad habits. We talk Mm -hmm. about creating new ones. But there is something that can become so practical about actively unlearning things. Mm -hmm. And and then when you attach it to that quote, um, I'm going to make sure to to include that quote in the show notes of this episode because, man, I think that is just so, so powerful and it's got to create such freedom uh, in, in your life. It does. And, you know, you realize, you start to realize, and this goes back to a self-awareness, EQ, you know, fundamental understanding that we have this unwritten rule book and we don't even know it. And we carry it around with us everywhere we go. And it dictates our thoughts and our behaviors and our actions. And until we start understanding what the hell it is that we've written in that rule book, <laughs> it's hard to unlearn. And it's hard to let go of those things that no longer serve you. We all have them. None of us are perfect. But it takes digging deep and peeling back those layers and being like, well, why do I do that? Or why do I think that? Where is that coming from? This is nonsensical. But yet I, I allow this to dictate my actions. And so I think it's super important. And and one of the exercises that I do, depending on what workshop I'm leading, is we take two pieces of paper. And on one of them, you think about from a very granular level, what are those things that you want in your life? And you, you just, whatever downloads, you don't judge it. You just, you know, freeform writing. And then on the separate piece of paper, we write, what are those things that no longer serve you? Things or people. 
or activities that no longer serve you. And again, it's just downloading and not judging and just writing in free form. And then what you can do is take that list of those things you want and get even more specific and find images that capture the essence of, of those things and create a vision board like I did to help you stay accountable. And that should be really dynamic and should be changing. You should be reflecting upon it. And then those things that you don't want in your life, that's the start to unlearning and thinking about, well, where did that even come from? And why have I been holding on to it for so long? And what is what are the implications if I continue to hold on to it? How is it going to hold me back? And then you take that list and you crumple it and you burn it because that is really cathartic and it's very symbolic of you're making a commitment to yourself to go down this journey of unlearning so that you can be who you were meant to be in the first place. Wow. Again, I mean, just so good. I, I mean, I, d- I definitely think that that is something that I could do because as, as, as much as I believe I have a good understanding of who I am and where I come up short and the things that hold me back, I think that's something about writing them out, uh, is just so beneficial and, and not judging it, just allowing whatever comes to your brain, whatever comes to your mind, just to write it, then you can go back later and reflect upon it. Um, but it, it, there is something powerful about writing things down, Yep. you know, and not, not judging, not editing, <laughs> just allowing whatever comes to the surface and then becoming curious. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. I think that's why, um, I mean, it, it happens in a lot of different spheres, but even I, I, you know, we're seeing this, uh, resurgence of a renewal of the LinkedIn let's, uh, let's get honest campaign. Yes. And I think it's along that same line, right? It's like, um, it, as long as you do it responsibly to be able to get in right. front of a camera, um, or writing it down and really being able to speak the truth about, you know, the things that are are holding you back or that you fear. Mm-hmm. There's just something so cathartic. There's something so beneficial and instructive and supportive in being able to do that. Yes. Um, yeah, that's just, that's so great. Yeah, I did it last year and it was, it wasn't my first video on LinkedIn, but it was definitely early in my video journey. And I remember feeling just terrified <laughs> to hit post because it goes back to one of the biggest fears that I think universally we have as humans, what will people think? Yep. And, you know, the response was actually super supportive and, and it was probably one of my most viewed videos. And, you know, there's, there's validation in that, uh, but it, it was absolutely terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting for me. I mean, it took me a little while uh, to get to uh, a place of being able to do that. And I don't want to spend too much time here, but I mean, I think it's important for people to hear like, um, you know, I I was uh, extremely prideful for a a very long period of my life, Um, my own success, other people telling me that I was really great. um, All those things really fueled uh, that that pride. And so it it created in me just this extreme blindness and being able to see all the things that I I was really, really crappy at and, Mm -hmm. you know, ways that I was taking the strengths that I had been created with and abusing them uh, on myself and on other people. And, uh, and, and it wasn't till I came to like, for me, it was coming to faith, but you know, it it was that moment of like, oh my gosh, like 
I'm really kind of a terrible person. And even though I thought I was so great. And then as I began sharing that, I started to realize that even though I, I was not and will never be proud of the, the, the harm that I did to myself and other people, I, mm-hmm. I started to recognize that me sharing that it wasn't just healing for me. It was so beneficial to other people, especially in mm-hmm. an age when we can create a persona of perfection online, right? And right. so, which again, I mean, this goes all the way back to when we started talking about emotional intelligence. Like if you don't believe that, that that's possible and you don't believe that that you are are doing that, um, uh, that's crazy because it's just mm-hmm. it, it, it's such a hindrance to us, as you said, really becoming who we've been created to be. Yeah, absolutely. I I just I'm in a collaboration with Amy Lore um, with a project called Zen EQ that's on Patreon. And one of the things that we just tackled and we just released a little snippet of it was about self regard and the our inner truth is not always congruent with the story that we tell ourselves and portray to the rest of the world. And, you know, I think that story really resonated with people because it's very similar along the lines of that let's get honest campaign of, you know, what is your inner truth? And for me, mine was like, I'm actually scared shitless (laughs) about, (laughs) you know, this was three years ago, you know, going into business all by myself because I no longer had a business, a, a big business name to stand behind. And so that fear of being vulnerable and would people really like me and think that I brought value and want to, you know, hire me was, was terrifying. And, uh, but that wasn't the story that I told myself. The story I used to tell myself was I'm super confident. I'm a risk taker. I can put myself out there. People admire me and look up to me. Yeah, there's some truth to that. But the inner truth was you're actually scared <laughs> and it's okay. Yep. And to acknowledge that and use that as a catalyst to be courageous and, and you know, fight for your dreams. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I say to people all the time that like we lie to ourselves more than anybody else and we do so in in two really bad ways one in which we we end up telling ourselves that we're really bad and really awful at things that are probably not in fact true. Like that's why we struggle so bad with self-image issues and Mm self-confidence issues because, right, like we see ourselves as this distorted version uh, of who we truly Mm -hmm. are. And so that that is just damaging on that side. But then the other side is the things that we're really bad at, we have a tendency to lie to ourselves and tell ourselves that we're really amazing, right? Yes. So it's like, boy, we're we're, we're hitting ourselves from all the wrong ways. Yes. Yes. And, you know, it's interesting that you bring up this distorted view of the things that we're really good at, but we don't give ourselves credit for. And, and, you know, it's actually called imposter syndrome. And, you know, we think that people are going to find out that we're not as good as they actually think we are. And so what we know is that a lot of successful people actually suffer from that. And it really can be debilitating. I, I I remember before I ever even knew what it was called many, many years ago, probably close to 20 years ago, somebody that I looked up to who was a senior leader, I remember her telling me pretty much in those words that she was concerned that people were going to find out she wasn't as good as everyone thought. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? Like you're amazing, you know. And and then I learned like, oh, this is a, a real phenomenon here, and 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 it's very uh, prevalent among among successful people. And so you know, again, it goes back to how our egos try to, um, you know, help us to survive 
but it's not always in our best interest if we allow the ego to be in the driver's seat. Hmm. Yep, absolutely. So you lo- as you look ahead, um, I mean, you're talking about uh, projects you're working on right now. I know you're working with a lot of clients, both small and fairly large profile. You are taking on this ridiculous task of writing a book, which I'm sure is going to come out amazing. And I can't wait to, to read it myself. But as you think about the future of business, as far as you want to look out, I mean, anything that you're fearful of or concerned with as it relates to your business? Hmm. I mean, I think every day presents fears. You know, I would be lying if I said no. I think each day is a new challenge, especially when you are a solo business owner. Uh-huh. And so I probably, I don't know, maybe scaling, you know, there's right now, you know, I will subcontract out and, and that works well. And, you know, there may come a time where I, I need to actually hire people full time. And, and so that's probably scary is, you know, growing is, is scary, I think. Yeah. 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 I mean, in in some sense, I think we're in the same boat as it relates to scaling because um, you are your business, right? I mean, right. you have studied, you've put in the work, but then beyond that, and I think what make what likely makes you unique and really good at what you do is how you've been wired, right? Like you have been created uh, with these, you know, very specific, unique and inherent gifts and talents that allows you to apply all these things that you've learned in in, in a very special way. And so that's Mm -hmm. why you get the results that you do, because other people could go through the same program and not. And so as you think about scaling, that's scary, right? Because it's not just teaching somebody how to do it. It's like, how do you teach someone to be you? And I know that's not the goal, but that's what's brought you to where you are today. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, being able to trust and give up some of that control, which, which can be daunting when it's your baby. Yep, you absolutely. Yeah. And, 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 and yeah, and I mean, it's, it's how you survive, right? I mean, if you, mm-hmm. if you're not doing it, it you don't eat, right? Your, right? your kids don't, your kids don't have clothes on their back. I mean, there, there's some very significant implications to, to things going the wrong way. Right. So, you know, it does become helpful to be like, yeah, well, this is what could happen. But on the bright side, here are the things that, you know, could be great. And so being optimistic and, and realistic at the same time. And and so I'll cross that bridge when I <laughs> when I come to it. Yeah. And, and, I, and I would believe that in some sense, that fear or, or whatever we want to call it, again, like I think that word just gets destroyed and, and I don't think it's always that bad. Like I think that fear fuels your fire to go out and get more and do more and serve clients and be the best you can possibly be because you know what the alternative is. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if, if, if the whole thing crumbled today, mm-hmm. like, God forbid, I don't wish this on anybody, but definitely not on you. Um, your business went away. What would you do? Like, wh- what would tomorrow be? You know, I think over the last few years, I've really learned that the worst in life is death, right? And I experienced that firsthand watching my father die very tragically. And so there are other things that happen that are terrible, but nothing's that terrible. And so like, everything's going to be okay. You may, you know, there may be some turbulent waters, but you will get through it. And, and maybe that's just one door closing 
and, you know, another opportunity presenting itself. And so I really have learned to just look at things so, so differently um, through my father's passing and the lessons, you know, that and the insight that I gained from that. So I, you know, I'd be like, oh, all right. That may not have been the outcome that I hoped for, but there's something better on the horizon. And I am a huge believer in the law of attraction and the energy that you put out there and in what you attract will come to you. And so to be very mindful and intentional about what you're attracting. Yep. Yep. No, that that's, that's super helpful for, for people to hear. So what would you tell your 20 year old self if you had an opportunity? That the time is going to pass anyway. So do what you love. Like not to be afraid to invest in something that may take you some time to achieve because the time's going to pass anyway. You know, at one point I wanted to be a physician and I'm actually glad now that, that I didn't go that route, but what was limiting me was I didn't want to invest that many years in education. And I look back now, I'm like, that's so silly because when they finish, they're actually still pretty young, you know, and, um, <laughs> but in my mind, you know, when in college and even graduate school, I was like, oh, they're, they're so old when they get out. Now I'm like, I wish I was that young. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and again, I think that, you know, there, there's a lot of factors that contribute to um, our right now expectation, mm-hmm. but None probably greater than, you know, the uh, the popularity of social media and watching um, the overnight, quote unquote, overnight successes yeah. of people. Right. And so, you know, every 20 year old out there wants to be a millionaire. Mm-hmm. And um, and, uh, you know, one of the things I appreciate about guys like Gary Vaynerchuk is, you know, he'll say things like put in the work now, chill out, right? right. Like you, you put in the work now, you grind it out, you hit it hard. Eventually it will come back to yeah. you. Um, but if you're expecting to hit a home run today, you have another thing coming. Right. And I think just so many people get set up for failure because they want to be the next, um, you know, insert industry superstar. Right. Or they don't even know how to handle the success or enjoy it. They're not prepared mm. for it. I think, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said for that as well. And so, you know, it, let's say that they are an overnight success in business and and you're measuring that by, you know, wealth, let's say, for example, wealth of the company, wealth of the individual. What does the health of their relationships look like? Have they sacrificed everything else to become this overnight success? Because I hear a lot of those stories. And then they regret, mm. you know, they they regret that they that they allowed people that were important in their life to, to leave. And that, that makes me sad. Yep. Nope. Absolutely. And that, that's not even, um, uh, specific to the 20 somethings, right? We're, we're watching people that are our age, uh, doing that very same thing. It's like they get an opportunity and, and they just throw everything away because that idea of success, however they define Mm -hmm. it just becomes so alluring that, that it's worth giving up everything else to go right. after. Yes. That doesn't work for me yep. at this point in my life, <laughs> much more grounded and mm-hmm. I'm glad, but you know, it did, it, it came out of price for sure. I mean, 
grieving, grief, grief will teach you a lot. Yes. It absolutely will. And it, and it really does help you prioritize what is important in life. Yep. No, absolutely. And, and I think that there is a benefit to people that um, find some sort of success that the bottom just falls out and they hit the ground flat on their face uh, because mm-hmm. it, it gives them an appreciation for, um, for what was and then what can be. Yep. Um, and, you know, mm-hmm. I've had quite a few of those experiences in my life at, at, for different reasons. And they've, and they have definitely helped to shape me into who I am today. That's for sure. Yeah. I, I'm a hundred percent behind that. So how do people, how do people uh, engage you? How, what is the typical way in which like I am a, a mess in the head. So I just, I, I reach out to you or no, like I'm, I'm seeing certain issues in my organization and I reach out to you. What are some typical ways that people in begin to engage you if they're thinking emotional intelligence is the way to go? Yeah. So they can reach out to me on LinkedIn, which I'm very active on. And I do get a lot of business opportunities through LinkedIn because I'm, I'm active, I post things on there and it'll trigger, you know, somebody to think of like, oh, I see that in my organization. Maybe I should reach out to Chris. So that's a great way. My, my website is kmac, K-M-A-C-C solutions with an S.com. So that's another way that people can contact me. I am on Instagram, but not really so much from a business standpoint and actually consider myself to be an Instagram novice. <laughs> so I, I, I was going to say idiot, which doesn't sound as nice. So I'll, I'll go with novice, but I, I'm definitely still <laughs> learning Instagram. And I, and you know, it's funny, Facebook, I really am not on that much. I mean, I have a lot of people that I'm friends with on Facebook, but I, I don't have the time to, to nurture Facebook. So LinkedIn um, or, or through my website are, are the best ways to, to reach out. You, you don't, you don't engage on Facebook because you don't have the desire to fight against people's lack of emotional intelligence over every stupid issue uh, in this country every yes, single day. That That's is why. definitely part of it where I'm just like, I just can't, I just can't, I don't have enough room in my brain <laughs> to absorb all of this, nor do I want to. There, there's probably no more place uh, in, in our world where you see a lack of emotional intelligence intelligence than on right. Facebook and when we're discussing politics or social issues, right? It's right. like, it's like exactly. I, I don't even care what position you hold on a lot of these things, but you are just so ignorant and ridiculous that I just can't have a conversation with you, right? And so you, right. you have to disengage. Right. And you've seen people, you know, cut people out of their lives <laughs> because of a post. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so why go there? You yeah, voted I, for I, don't, ooh, I hate yeah. you. I hate you. Right. Like, right. Does it really it's, matter? It's really sad. It's really sad. So I know I don't spend a lot of time there, but, but LinkedIn I do. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, and, and I will say kind of like a, as we're wrapping up what I, what I appreciate about you, I think I said a little bit about this at the beginning, but what I appreciate about you so much is you are who you are, um, across all mediums. So again, um, you know, by fortune of a third party, we met in person. That was the first time uh, you know, we had ever met each other. And, um, and so, you know, your, your personality comes across your knowledge, your expertise, uh, empathy, like just so many things, confidence, it all comes across. And so then when we went back to real life, after we had an opportunity to, to spend some time together at that conference, 
um, you, you, you're the same person on LinkedIn and even on Instagram. I know you said that, you know, you're, um, you know, you're not as active there, but even as you're sharing kind of a more of like the personal or social side of things there, I, I just, I appreciate that you are who you are. And so then when you are contributing so much content on LinkedIn, which I know you do quite a bit there, um, I benefit so much, not just because of what you're saying, but because I know that you really believe in what you're saying, because that's who you are. And so I just appreciate you so much for that. Well, thank you so much. That really means a lot. I, you know, my goal is to, to be authentic in the content that I'm creating. And, you know, I don't have a plan for the things that I say. I know a lot of people do have, they plan out all their posts. I don't, it's, it's really, you know, what, what is my heart saying that I need to, to speak about and, and how, what ways can I add value and help others? And, um, I think that we, you know, just had a genuine connection from the beginning because we, we just clicked. And I think you're very much the same way you you are who you are and there's no pretense there. And I think that's why we sort of gravitated towards each other and, and became friends. Yep. No, absolutely. Well, I mean, you know, like I said, you know, with that, I just, I, I appreciate you so much. Thank you for an opportunity to have this discussion. I know that this just scratches the surface. I know that we are, I um, uh, maybe overemphasized EQ. I know there's a lot of other things that you speak to that you, uh, the uh, domains that you work within. So my hope is that through so much of this, that people would be listening and, and, and take away a bunch of practical stuff that, that they could work on probably for the rest of their lives. But beyond that, that they would be willing to at least reach out to you and engage because I think this is an area that whether you're leading an organization, whether you're leading yourself um, in a in a business or at home, I mean, I just think that you could you could do so much to benefit so many of the people that I know that listen. So thank you. Thank I you. appreciate you so much. Uh, and I am looking forward to digging into a lot of these things myself. Awesome. I appreciate it, Ryan. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Excellence Mindset with Ryan James Miller. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and subscribe. And for more great content and to stay up to date, visit ryanjamesmiller.com. We'll catch you next time.